0: Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mooby, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30 day trial, go to mubi.comslash filmstage.
1: I'll light the fire. you place the flowers in the vase that you bought today. Staring at the fire.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for the Filmstage.com. As always, I am your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have Michael Snydell. Hello, Bill Graham. Woo! And a special guest to help us talk about the movie Hereditary. It's Justine Smith. Hi. Hello. Would you like to tell our audience a little bit about yourself?
2: Well, I'm a film critic based in Canada, specifically Montreal. I write for a variety of publications, National Post, The Little White Lies, Roger Ebert, and anyone else who will pay me.
0: (laughs) Awesome. And we are very excited to have you here to talk about a movie that uh, I believe, uh, more than most we've seen this year, demands a little bit of conversation post-screening. So this is going to be fun. It's going to be... It's going to be a good in-depth chat that we have here. Uh, Before we get into that, though, listeners will know. Uh, You can find us on Twitter, at Film Stage Show. Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Find us on iTunes. Give us a comment. Give us a rating. Subscribe to this podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash thefilmstageshow and sign up to help us out. For as little as $1 an episode, you get access to our super cool, super secret Slack channel, You also get the opportunity to be entered into a bunch of exclusive raffles for movies, movie paraphernalia, other assorted items. And you get the satisfaction of knowing that you are helping us to continue to justify the inordinate amount of time, resources, and energy that we put into producing this show. We are also brought to you by MUBI, the streaming cinema, where every day their curators add a brand new film for you to enjoy. That means that you have a constant rotating selection of 30 movies for you to pick out. These are some of the best of world cinema, independent cinema, all-around great cinema. I am going to personally plug their Alain Rene at Play series. Currently on movie. you can check out what is probably my favorite movie of all time, Last Year at Marienbad, a film that I don't know that I can actually summarize. It is a moody, interesting mood piece of, like, French New Wave mixed with surrealism, mixed with all kinds of other stuff. It is a movie that I have seen countless times. I wrote a 12-page paper on it in college, and I still feel like I don't fully understand what's going on. (laughs) And I think that that is one of its chief pleasures. It is a movie that you can bring yourself to and enjoy. And uh, then afterwards, you can talk with the seven other people on this earth who have seen it and see what they thought as well. So check it out. That is now currently on movie. You can stream it to your phone if you're a monster. You can watch it on your smart TV or your laptop or your PC. You can download it and watch it on the go. Check it out. For your free 30-day trial, go to MUBI.com slash... Filmstage. Again, that is M U B I dot com slash filmstage. So all of that out of the way, we can now talk about Hereditary, the newest film from Michael Snydell's favorite distribution company, A24. <laughs> Isn't that right? That's right, Michael, right? You never had any problem with A twenty-four.
3: Oh I knew we were gonna get into this. <laughs> Every-
0: Every time there's an A24 release. Anyway, this movie is written and directed by Ari Aster. And it stars Tony Klett, Millie Shapiro, Gabriel Byrne, my man, and Alex Wolf, amongst many others. Uh, before we play the trailer, because the trailer is vaguely spoilery, I just want to ask each one of you in turn for a simple yes or no answer to the following question. Should the fine people listening to this podcast go and see this movie justine since you were the guest you first yes or no should people see this movie yes bill graham yes michael Snydell.
1: yes i am also
0: saying yes isn't that marvelous everyone is in agreement go out if you have an interest in the movie hereditary go see it for now here is the trailer
3: Come on, Peter, This just suit. It's
2: heartening to see so many strange new faces here today. I know my mom would be very touched and probably a little suspicious. My mother was a very secretive and private woman.
0: All right, that is the trailer hereditary again the newest film from a24 written and directed by ari aster this movie charts what happens to a family following the death of their grandmother i'm gonna just leave it at that i think that that is <laughs> a perfect way to just start off as it begins the grandmother has died her daughter is having a rough time with it because of complicated feelings about her own mother and the children Well, the kids are not alright, so let's talk about it. We will, of course, start with our basic thoughts before diving in a little deeper, and then we'll have a full-on spoiler section to talk about this movie in depth, which I think it demands. So, Justine, why don't we start off with you? What are your basic outlined thoughts on Hereditary?
2: Well, I love this movie. I think that it has some flaws. I don't know if it's it's flaws or frustrations, but... It really resonates with me on a very deep level, maybe because I relate to the kind of aspect of dysfunctional family and problematic matriarchs, as well as um, demons. I think demons are great and underused in cinema in an effective way. And I think this is one of those films that really got, at least under my skin, The sound design is incredible, uh, which is essential for great horror, and I don't know, it's just one of the films I've seen this year that really, really hit me hard, which is always exceptional for horror, I think. Even as a huge horror fan, it's very rare something resonates like this.
0: All right. Bill Graham, what about yourself?
1: I really enjoyed this film. Uh, it came in with a lot of hype, and I think that's always kind of it's trepidatious because anytime something comes in with this amount of hype, you're always curious to see how it's going to live up to that. Thankfully, I avoided most of the hype except for, I guess, the stuff that leaked through. Um, you know, I didn't read too much, I didn't read reviews, I didn't read uh, interviews or anything like that, so. I had just the briefest impression that you know this was a high quality film, and that was about it, so going in, I was looking for just entertainment, not necessarily much more than anything that anything more specific than that and I certainly got it with this film uh I think yes, the sound design is fantastic, and I think the performances are just really pitch perfect and without saying too much more i think i i I do i do enjoy the demon aspect as well so yeah
0: all right michael Snydell.
3: yeah i i really like this film for the for the most part um i i do have some frustrations because they're not necessarily things that ruin the movie overall but uh i think they're you know what? I'm going to not say more about that. Um, <laughs> here's, here's what I'll say, though. I, I think that this, this is a very good horror film for a lot of reasons that I think uh, Justine and Bill have both mentioned as far as the sound design, as far as the performances. But I also think why uh, this movie got to me so much was its portrayal of grief and how unflinching it was about it. Like at times it was only almost reminiscent of more explicit films about grief, like things like the ice storm or Manchester by the sea, as much as like horror films for me. And I think Toni Collette here is, um, I mean, she's kind of always great, but just in being able to really show this person um, who's been stripped down to, you know, her raw self, Uh, it's like, fearless is not a word I'd use. And this would be the first, one of the few movies I'd ever use to describe, uh, this performance. Um, and so, yeah, it just, in the way that it shows grief and especially coming from a first time, this is the debut, uh, the feature debut for Ari And it's, uh, it's really exciting to see what will come from him later, just in, uh, how deeply he, uh, he cares. And one last thing, there's hardly any traditional jump scares in this. And it makes me like inordinately happy to see that.
0: (laughs) All right. Um, Yeah. I got to agree with a lot of what's been said. I think that in this movie, there is just a lot of really great craft to just go through. Like the cinematography, the the mise-en-scene. I mean, the way that things are framed, the shot choices, the angles, the sound design, the production design, um, everything about this movie aesthetically is just fantastic. I think the performances, specifically Alex Wolf and uh, Millie Shapiro, are like top notch. Uh, Tony Collette, I'm sure we're all going to say great things about. So I want to make sure that I really underline that the kids in this movie do just fantastic work. And Gabriel Byrne is so good in this movie as a man who is is basically in a situation that i've been in so many times where it's just like the world is falling apart around him and he is just trying to keep it together and keep the peace and like be the rock in the stormy seas that are raging around him
3: and I was going to say, Brian. Do you need to tell us about your experiences with demons? I mean, you know, uh,
0: we all know that my my I have had my demons, uh, alcohol, and, <laughs> um, yeah. No, I mean, it's just it, it, he's he's he has what I think is like probably going to be an underrated role in this movie because he has to be the the guy who you hate in every horror movie, who's just like, (laughs) nothing is wrong. I'm just going to make dinner. And I think that he plays it really well for a reason that Michael brings up, because the surface level of this movie is all about grief. And I have been the type of person who's had to kind of uh, weather the intense grief of the people around me in order to try to create some kind of peace or some kind of normalcy to retreat into whenever they're ready for it and so uh just wanted to give a good shout out to my man gabriel Byrne, whom i love and yeah i think that this movie is super great when it's operating as kind of a moody gothic chamber piece with a bunch of sad people with a lot of problems all kind of interacting with each other and dealing with things that they don't understand and um kind of like living in the ambiguity of what comes next after someone passes. And I think that towards the end, it gets a little nutty and maybe a little nonsensical. And I think that that is something we're gonna have to talk about. I won't say how it happens. I will say that I am going to have to keep a firm handle on the reins of the conversation and spoilers, I feel, (laughs) to make sure that we don't lose ourselves to the particulars of the plot. And end up not talking about what I think is the most compelling part of this movie, which is like the themes that it delves into in terms of, you know, family tragedy, mental illness, you know, the, 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 the sins of the father being passed on to the son, that kind of thing. You know, the idea of almost generational curses coming down from the heavens. I think that this movie, while not the clockwork machine that it first appears to be, even as it ends a little messily still still gives everything that you'd want from a movie like this and i will also say to michael's point god bless the complete and utter lack of jump scares in this movie because i think that sometimes stately staid filmmaking is used and it's all in service of just making it even worse when the violins kick in and the cat jumps out of a cabinet And this movie, uh, it manages to keep up tension and maintain that tension and keep you hooked in that tension by not playing dirty. So, yeah,
3: there's, there's so many reasons. Hashtag no (laughs) cats.
0: There, I don't think there is a cat in this movie. There's a dog though. It's a horror movie. There's gotta be one pet. Yeah. Michael, you were going (laughs) to say.
3: No, I was just saying, uh we could talk further about this but there's so many reaction shots in this movie that are used so effectively like not even like of course there's really strong imagery but just seeing how a character reacts to certain incidents it's um it's just really really nice like it's kind of used instead of jump scares in a lot of cases
0: so I want to it's it's so hard cuz I I'd love to just jump straight into spoilers but I'm curious <sighs> I hate I hate movies like this. <laughs> I think um one of the more interesting things about this movie is the way that it kind of plays around with this like family dynamic, the the grief and the anger and the uncertainty and it struck me really sharply and really well observed and I'm curious just kind of sticking with that for a minute, uh, how did everyone else feel about that and how it was deployed? And then without getting into the ending, do you think that it was served particularly well by where it goes? Um, and I'd be interested to hear from Justine first.
2: I I thought the depiction of family was uncomfortably real on basically every level partially because the performances are so strong, but the writing and the filmography, like the the uh, cinematography as well, it just, everything kind of adds up to this sense of like unsaid tension that exists beyond the scope of the film. And that is super rare in any kind of film that you really feel like, oh no, this is a family. They have seen and experienced awful things together. And Everything through this the tension of this grief kind of comes to the surface uh and it feels like super dark real and awful i like i i the Gabrielel Byrne character, the father he reminds me of my father a little bit and that kind of like that Irish way of being like, No, let's pretend there is nothing wrong, and then everything will be okay, and if you talk about it, then bad things will happen. And then Tony Collette is more like my mother who's like, no, you have to talk to about everything and you have to, we've talked about it, we have to talk about it again until it's like this kind of like tension of emotions and like neither of them are particularly helpful when you're dealing with something that is unmentionable. Like you can't really deal with it. You can't just have a conversation and suddenly, oh, I feel better now. I'm not sad that people are dead anymore. Or... If we repress it, then you're no longer sad either. It's like nothing really works. And when you kind of have them butting heads like that, like to me, that's the, the heart of the movie. Where it ends up, without saying too much, kind of rings true to me, but I am I am really on the fence with it. I, I really want to see the film again because it feels so jarring compared to the first two thirds of the movie, if that makes sense. Uh, it really kind of goes off the rails for better and for worse uh in my experience dealing with like my family they do believe in curses and demons and things in a very like old world kind of way so the film kind of has that same resonance to me also like i grew up in a very catholic environment and catholics also believe in these kind of crazy things and even rationally if you're like it's not real uh it's always kind of boiling below the surface yeah we do so like (laughs) we really like that's why the exorcist man like there's just enough demons in the exorcist for example to feel like super catholic but still appeal to a wide audience um i think that the commitment to not keep things too ambiguous is really brave Again, do I think it totally works? I'm not sure.
0: Well, one of the things... I, I constantly say that like I love a good exorcism movie because it's the only movie where a Catholic guy can be a superhero. Because um, <laughs> like, if you were to do it with like a Protestant, it would just be like, uh-oh, the devil's in her. And everyone would just be like, well, we just got to pray. And also she brought it on herself because she kissed a boy before they were married. But like a Catholic guy... <laughs> You know, in the Catholic faith, it's like, well, what we got to do is we got to pray over, it, but we also got to sprinkle some holy water. And here is the toe bone of a saint, and we're going to wrestle this demon out <laughs> through like a restrictive diet and like a whole bunch of other stuff. And it's just like it's so it's so cool. The fact- to
2: touch a fire that's always really important. Catholics love to set things on fire.
0: Oh my god, <laughs> the candles are so important. I um as a child, I recall wanting to be. Like an altar server or something just because i saw them get to use like the really long pole <laughs> to light the huge candle the pascal candle and then they would like snuff it out and i was I, just I like i feel seen right now brad <laughs> i was like you know that shit seems awesome and yeah i mean stuff like that i am a huge fan of anything that involves like intense ritual and weirdness or lighting
1: things on fire well,
0: yeah. i mean. <laughs> for me lighting anything on fire is a ritual that is not even a joke I have a a fire pit in my backyard and like no one is allowed to come out with me as I'm lighting the fire like I like to be out there alone this is probably telling way too much about me but I love to be out there alone with the logs making my little setup my homemade fire starter and then lighting it on fire and then I come in when it's done and say guys the fire is ready
1: (laughs) I, I can just see, like, a a a fire department, like, asking your, your family, like, okay, so why didn't you know that he was on fire for five minutes? And they're just like, well, you see, he's got this tradition where we don't come out there and see what he's doing, and so we just didn't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's possible. Do you That's use
1: lighter how... fluid, though?
0: No. Oh, my God, no. No.
2: no. Okay, okay, so purist.
0: Not allowed, yes. yep. um so anyway what i was saying he's a
3: catholic (laughs) what did you expect
0: (laughs) uh that was my elongated way of saying that in a in in a similar way (sighs) i too am predisposed to loving like things about like curses and weird ritual and and all that stuff i do um
1: Lighter as, fluid is for uh Protestants? Is that where you're
0: about to say? I you know what? I will put that on a shirt. Yeah. It's for zippos and Protestants. Um and maybe every now and then a barbecue. So But even then I prefer to light the coals without lighter fluid. Um so we're learning way too much about my fire starting. And what I was gonna say is that I am likewise predisposed to those things, also as a person with a like family history of mental illness that's not Nearly as intense as that of uh, Annie and her mother and and everyone else in her family, in this movie, it it this movie kind of had its hooks in me in that way. Where it's just like I love the idea of examining the quirks of our DNA as a kind of like Greek tragedy generational curse. Where the movie ends up, I feel like that is all still there but i'm not sure that it still lands with the same effect so i'll be interested to talk about that more and um yeah likewise you know the the grief situation in this family i just had a i just had a week long vacation at the beach with my family and it's like my grandmother my parents my sister her family me and my wife and my daughter and oh my, uh, my brother and so it's and <laughs> and it's just like it's a lot of people to be in a single space and sooner or later some shit starts erupting And you just have to set aside like half of one day to know when that's going to happen and then like to give everyone an hour to cool down and then come back together. So and then I saw this movie on that vacation. So, yeah, there's (laughs) there's a lot there for that that really rung true. And I think that, as Michael was saying, for a first time writer director on a feature anyway, this this is a lot of balls to keep in the air. And I think that despite my like reservations about where it all ends up, I think that that is, this is like a super auspicious debut.
3: Speaking again to that design to, um, Justine, I mean, you were starting to talk about the, that unspoken tension, but I think in the production design and the, uh, kind of wide angle, um, the wide-angle framing of that of that home that they live in. That home is so unwelcoming. <laughs> you know, from literally the, the first time you walk through the door, you're supposed to take your shoes off. Everything feels so cold. Like, the way that the architecture is and the way that, uh, you know, Annie's workspace is off in a corner. I, everything is just so, uh, like, remote and separated in a way that also adds to that to that overall feeling um so so that when that tension happens it's it's that strange idea where there is isolation but also they're right across the hallway and I, i think that that as well is something um representative of a first director is is something that's really incredible the way it channels that that silence and the quiet um into a a larger, more upsetting (laughs) hole.
0: Bill Graham, your thoughts.
1: I mean, it's interesting because when Justine was talking about uh, Steve, uh, Steve? Yeah, Steve, Gabriel Byrne. When Justine was talking about him, And she mentioned that, like, he's kind of the one that doesn't want to talk about it. And it's interesting because there is a lot of nuance there where I feel like a lot of characters... Steve just doesn't have a whole lot to do in this film, unfortunately. And uh, that's not necessarily a weakness, but I found it interesting that yes, on the surface, it does appear that he's the one that's trying to kind of keep the peace and doesn't necessarily want to talk about it, but it's, he's also the person right after the initial funeral that goes around checking on everybody. And so while yes, he doesn't necessarily want to have a long conversation about it. It doesn't necessarily seem he's certainly open to like opening that door in that way like at least checking in on people at least asking if they want to talk about things or whatever you know um and so it's it's interesting because there is a lot of nuance to even a character that's maybe on screen all of or maybe has like i don't know 20 lines of dialogue total in this entire film um he and and that just kind of bleeds over to all of these other characters where you may not get much of anything. Uh, Millie Shapiro, in particular, as Charlie... Um, doesn't have a lot to say but she has a lot to do in this film and I found her character in particular just really fascinating to watch on screen Uh, she's definitely a a startling presence in both the way that she looks but also just the way that she acts Um, and it's her character in particular that I found most interesting to kind of have as part of this journey because she's immediately unsettling in this way that you're not sure if she's dangerous or if she's just creepy and that just sets the entire film kind of on this edge and they get to kind of play with that throughout and ratchet up the tension and then bring it back down at certain points and so i don't know i I think I think everything that y'all have kind of already mentioned at this point about how true this feels of the family dynamics and things like that and and grief in particular, um, I think all of that is absolutely spot on. It it rings true and just the craftsmanship here for a first time director. Um, I'm not sure because you know this isn't a Blumhouse film. I'm not sure how much this cost and i'm sure someone can quickly look that up uh with the glories of the internet but it's it's interesting to kind of realize that there's a lot of craftsmanship here for film for a film that is first time and you just don't see this kind of level of attention to detail uh on a lot of bigger budget films let alone horror so it really it really does kind of separate itself out even if you're not necessarily appreciative of where the story ends up or where it goes overall i think just the level of craftsmanship here is something to be appreciated period well 10 $10 million
3: is what it looks like okay i was
0: i was gonna say there's two things first of all yeah that gabriel Byrne like whole
3: all right, everything's
0: over now. I've got to go check on all the disparate people. I mean, when my uncle died and then uh, later on my grandfather on the same side of the family died, my dad kind of pulled me aside and was like, "All right, I'm going to I'm going to stick with your mother. Um, I need you to stick with grandma." And I was like, "What?" Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Yeah, you know, we we've got to like make sure that they're okay." And at the time, I I was like, "How old was I?" Too young. Let's just say that. <laughs> and I um <laughs> I remember thinking to myself like, But aren't I also going through this? And therefore, shouldn't I have someone looking out for me? And then I realized that, like, looking at everyone else, I was not going through whatever they were going through. I was Uh holding it together better in some way. I don't know if that's uh, hereditary from the Irish side of my family (laughs) or if it's um, just because I'm a borderline sociopath. But I definitely then, you know, stuck with my grandmother and was watching out for her. And, of course, like her and my mother you know, we're drawing power from each other, but you know, my dad and I were feeding, you know, some emotional health to them in our own way. And so that was helping them. So yeah, everything that Gabriel Byrne was doing, you know, it just goes again into saying like how well observed this movie is and like the rituals and the mechanics of grief. And then, yeah, I think that sometimes having a little budget helps to make a better movie because you can't easily say, okay, this is the part where. The robots crash into each other, so we can just skip over that, and we'll let the second unit and the previs guys take care of it. Or, like, it's okay that we're shooting this and everything looks wrong. We can fix it in post with computers. We can remove the mustache in post. Um, you know, having having to really think about things and, like, drill down helps a lot. And I think that, I mean you know, how long will it be until Ari Aster is tapped to do Squirrel Girl or something? You know, I don't know, but I hope he he gets a couple other movies out first.
3: (laughs) Well,
2: for me too, the the interesting thing about the performance of Steve, because when you guys are talking about this and holding it together and asking how everything is, I observed that, but I also, maybe coming from my own experience or... um, feeling perhaps a greater tension that exists in the film it's like to me he's asking for example when he talks to Peter and is like hey how you doing da 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 he's not actually it doesn't seem as though he's expecting his son to ever go I'm not okay he wants his. there's kind of this expectation of being like I'm going to ask how you're doing and you're going to be like I'm okay dad I'm pulling it together or something along those lines it's, so it's, that it's, it's, it's an r- expectation of Tension. Like I,
1: it's it's one of those things where it's like y- y- you ask someone how they're doing, and if they actually tell you how they're doing, you're like whoa 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 whoa. Yeah, that's how you that's know? how I felt about yeah. it. Yeah, I agree with that.
0: I mean, yeah, well, I mean, that's what I do to all my friends. So yeah, <laughs> but it's still, but he's still doing that. You know, he he knows that he's not really going to get anything, but you know, or he doesn't expected. want anything. I think yeah.
1: that's more sure. accurate.
0: I think that he would. I think that he would listen, and then he would go, okay, and then walk out.
1: <laughs> yeah, a, a pat on the shoulder. Or He's like, well, that's yeah.
0: totally fine. And then just leave. <laughs> the type of person whose sole contribution is, it's okay to feel sad, and then leave, and silently <laughs> think to himself, it's not okay. Get over it. we got a life to I live.
3: Think- <laughs> <laughs> I think it says a lot about the husband-wife relationship, too, that Annie isn't willing to tell Steve that she's... Trying to cope with grief, she just says she's going to see a movie. Yeah. Um, I, I, the the idea that it, it would be better to say that you're not going to therapy, <laughs> I, you know, like says a lot about that family dynamic as much as it does about the you know father son dynamic and the, the and the expectations that um, each hold.
0: I think. Um... You know, now that we've touched on Annie, Tony Collette's character, I mean, I think that her whole, I'm just going to see a movie thing. She is a woman who has a family history of mental illness. Her mother Mm -hmm. has DID and I think she said that her father had chronic depression and her brother had schizophrenia. And so for her... Having to admit that she is struggling with grief is like a way of kind of tapping into that. Like thinking that, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a particularly, it's probably not a particularly modern idea, but it is a concept that, like, if you're somehow sad during a point in your life where you should be sad, but you feel like you're more sad than you ought to be, you think there's something wrong with you. Um, I had a friend who, who killed himself, and afterwards I was very depressed, and all of my friends were like, man, you're real depressed you should see a doctor and I was like I don't need to see a fucking doctor I just had some bad shit happen I'm allowed to feel this way and when I did eventually go to a doctor to shut them up the doctor said you're coping perfectly fine um you should tell your friends that you know it's it's not it's not important to feel better right away you know you to to go here and seek some kind of medicine is actually like counterintuitive what they should do is like just listen to you when you feel ready to talk and so I went back and, of course, shoved it in their face and told them to go <laughs> fuck themselves. So. So, yeah, I mean, that is for her just like a way of shielding herself from what she deems to be the awful truth of like what she has kind of always felt as waiting in the wings for her. Mm-hmm. This um, this this the birthright of something being wrong with her brain that will pro- possibly break her or cause her to break someone else in her family. And um, we find out later in the film that that is sort of already happened. Yeah. And I think that uh, Colette's, Tony Collette's performance in this movie, uh, you know, it's brave. It's so raw. Like, all of those are true. They just sound really trite. She's like tapping into some, she's tapping into some shit here that is not, it's not pretty grief. It's not. You know, mm-hmm. damsel in distress, mental illness. Like this is a human being whose soul and mind are being rendered into by perfectly logical situational grief, but also perhaps like an an instilled, you know, bred into her mental illness, and she is modulating that and and acting it with just so much care
3: and in but, present tense. <laughs> yeah, it's um, I think.
1: I think it's interesting interesting to kind of note that, um, without jumping into kind of the second half of the film, that her grief is and isn't set off by her own mother's death in a way. Because, I mean, her first uh, thing that she says to Steve after they get back from the funeral is... Should I feel sad right now? And she goes on to kind of detail a little bit, you know, why she does or does not feel sad about this situation. And I think it's interesting that, like, that's kind of what's going on. It's not necessarily sadness. It's it's almost an emptiness. It's almost a, okay you know and and this is i've i've seen this with my own mother and with other family members where they have someone to take care of and that becomes their sole focus for such a long for such a period of time and it's so intense that when that is over they're kind of left with this like okay what do i do now you know, um, that was such a big part of their life for such a period of time. And so I think Tony Collette's character is kind of going through something a little bit similar to that in a way. Um, so I think, it's, I think it's interesting that it's not just that her mother died, that that's, you know, why she's necessarily feeling sad or grieving or whatever it is, these things that she's kind of going through.
0: I mean, yeah, it's it's one of those things where I think it I think it doesn't really hit her until she gets to the the grief counseling group that she goes to just how much her numbness is like a precursor or like the first stage Uh uh of her grief. And she again, like Michael says, like she's playing in the present tense. She's playing that really well. And you can feel in that scene that numbness metastasizing into something else the more that she kind of like just talks she she talks about it she says like well you know it didn't really happen to me it's it's not a thing that happened to me and yet everything that happened to someone is is her father her brother her mother and she sure. just like is so <laughs> eager to be removed from these people whom she either doesn't know or in the case of her mother whom she seems to hate that she refuses to admit that the tragedies visited upon them also thereby are visited upon herself.
1: Mm.
0: It's great. It's it's yeah. it's fantastic. I mean the, the I would I would say that regardless of what one may think of the ending um the first I don't even know how long this movie is. Um the, everything before like it's, the last 30 minutes is like pretty just inarguably like I won't say flawless, but like inarguably perfect in its own weird way.
1: It's just over two hours.
0: Yes. Did that bother you, Bill? No. Okay, good.
1: Does anybody have a problem? Right right at that. Right at that mark. (laughs) <laughs> Two hours and seven minutes, I'm okay. <laughs> I,
3: I guess we can get into spoilers a little bit with this stuff, but or, or this might need to get into spoilers, but I'm just curious whether the length bothered anyone. I know that's a really dumb question, but it is one of the predominant complaints I've seen about this film, so I'm wondering if the pacing or the rhythms uh seemed overextended to any of you.
0: I'd like to extend the opportunity for Justine to start off with this. <laughs>
3: Not at all. Um,
2: I found the movie incredibly painful to experience, and that was the pleasure for me. Um, there's aspects of the performance, like Toni Collette, there's moments when she's acting where I literally just don't want to watch more because I, it's so unbearable. And the fact that a movie that is over slightly over two hours long is able to more or less maintain that the whole running time without completely exhausting and burning you out is, like... Almost a feat of magic. Um, I don't generally like horror movies or comedies that are over ninety-five minutes. I think that a lot of them do feel a bit like uh, what you like? Eh, my husband's expression because he's Portuguese: um, stuffing the chorizo with like a little bit, a little <laughs> bit of too much bread in there or something. Uh, but no, this movie really earns like every single minute of its screen
0: time for me. Bill, any thoughts?
1: No, I I enjoyed it all the way through, so I, yeah. I've got no issues. I I think I think maybe what what people are kind of responding to is this kind of knife's edge thing that happens towards the end, and and we're not improper spoilers, I guess. Here, we're just talking about kind of towards the end, but I, I think it holds that for a longer period of time than i'm used to most of these films doing and it manages and modulates that at a really like remarkable pace but that's that final kind of finale section does last a little bit longer than i would expect and i think that's maybe where some people are reacting is is whoa that felt like i was in the finale for a long period of time
0: i am it's 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 hard to know i think that a lot of people nowadays with the way that like and i I apologize immediately for bringing up marvel movies again (laughs) with the way that marvel movies are made um where you can kind of sense every beat and you know exactly what's happening you can say to yourself all right we're in the end game now You know, they they got the MacGuffin, they lost the MacGuffin, and now it's time to fight to stop the MacGuffin from MacGuffining. And (laughs) it's it's nice to have that certainty in a movie, to feel the ending coming. And in a movie like this, that I would say like a half an hour in, really goes out of its way to knock you off base and like leave you wondering what the hell this movie is even about. It's it can be trying and very disconcerting to have to live through it without that sense of certitude regarding what you're experiencing. And so I definitely felt the length in the theater, but more in a way of like, what more can be done to these people? Like, And and where is this going? But like, not in a, all right, I'm not into this, where it's just like, let's get to the fucking end of this. More of like, how, what... (laughs) What even could be going on here? And so to me, that's sort of the only place where I think I could really lean into like complaints about length is just the idea that like, you know, people like you can give up 90 minutes to a movie that you don't know what's happening and you're fine with it. But a movie like this that feels so on a course, especially when it sort of jumps the rails and like plummets into hell later on. That's not literal, but... It's um it can be disconcerting cuz you're like, "Oh, okay, this this must be the end." And then it just keeps happening to you and you're like, "Well, okay, let's just see where this ends up now." And then it's over and you realize that you've gone through this strange twisting winding road that that you thought was one thing and then just like warped into something else. And and I think that the extreme distance between where this movie begins and where it ends also adds to that sensation. Because in most movies, especially in this age of Marvel and franchise films, all end in the same kind of status quo. You know, even if the heroes have been beaten, they've still got a plucky attitude and will probably pull it out next time. And even though the villain's been defeated, there's a tease for the next villain. Like, nothing really changes. But a shit ton changes in this movie. And I think that that can be emotionally exhausting
3: I think the other thing that I do find interesting about the way that this approaches is alright so (laughs) I promise I won't get into my problem with people talking about elevated horror here (laughs) but
0: um, that's right we didn't say this is an elevated horror film
3: that has (laughs) been a little bit a part of the discussion with with this but I do think nonetheless that, that that is vaguely interesting when you compare it um, to, you know, especially the length of some other uh, popular recent horror films. And even indie horror films, I mean, they hardly ever go above 95 to 100 minutes. But, you know, even something like Get Out is, in, you know, an hour and 44 minutes. And um, I, I can't think of the last honestly a horror film that i've seen that was over a solid two hours i'm sure there's something i'm missing but I, i guess my point in saying this and this is before i can get into spoilers and bring up where this movie goes and how it reminds me of some of those shorter movies um is i i do think it is very interesting the way that those conversations of art house horror and uh, genre films, the way that they have become intertwined, and the ways that they, um, again, look over what we've kind of been talking about, which is how in depth a dissection of grief this becomes. How it is a family movie for so long, and that's not to, <laughs> that's not to deny it its horror label at all, but rather just to say that. Um, That I was just flummoxed when I I saw people continually saying this, because I think, like the rest of you, I also feel that 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 time was necessary to make this, you know, to really feel it in your bones by the end.
0: All right. So I think we've gone as far as we can without getting into spoilers. So (laughs) if no one has any. Oh, the music. The music is great yeah okay um does anyone does anyone else have any uh thoughts or ideas they want to throw out before we get into the spoilers for this movie
3: i don't i don't want to mansplain i don't know if any of you guys are familiar with calen Stutson. he's fucking awesome uh i am pretty sure that almost the entire score is him playing saxophone
0: okay no wonder i liked it then i love me some saxophone (laughs) that's
3: weird you don't like saxophone bill he does bizarre no. things with the saxophone. <laughs> it's
1: just like, this is a bizarre score if that's only done with the saxophone. That's, that's some weird-ass shit, man.
3: <laughs> All right.
1: Okay,
0: well, um, you've been warned, ladies and gentlemen at home. If you don't want to know what's, uh, what's up, what's going on in this movie, if you don't want to know why we've every once in a while brought up the concept of demons, <laughs> now it's time to get out of here. Um, we're going to talk about spoilers for Hereditary starting now.
1: Um, can I can I ask a question real quick?
0: You can totally ask a question real quick.
1: So, Scott Mendelson, who covers uh, box office stuff for Forbes magazine, Forbes, is that a magazine? It's yeah, online. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> um, anyways, he was bringing up that apparently this film didn't get a very good cinema score. Um, and if you know anything about cinema score, it's basically audience polling opening night day. Uh, opening night and it's just kind of a it's almost a reaction of what were your expectations versus where did Mm -hmm. the movie kind of end up with absolutely yeah and and so it's more of an expectation for of audiences and where they kind of end up and apparently to to that point
0: I i just want to say like most of the time when people talk about a cinema score what it boils down to is like how well did the marketing like, how much exactly. did this movie sync up with what the marketing sold you? Yeah, yeah. And
1: I, I would actually say that the marketing and this film are remarkably like. I thought it was kind of spot on yeah. the way that they marketed this film, um, but it did get a. It, apparently, it did get a, a, low, a low cinema score and D plus. Mentioning a, a B plus. So D, like, a D D on. D plus. Okay, all right. Yeah, um, not D as in, D plus D is in demon. <laughs> Yes, yeah. <laughs> lots of demons. Uh, but so he was mentioning that a lot of intelligent, he, he called it, uh, uh horror films also, Bill, got we
3: got so of, far. Well, hold on, hold on. I, I, I uh, promise,
1: Mike. This okay, is, okay, I'm this sorry. Absolutely I'm sorry. nothing to do with what you're talking about. Um, so he was mentioning that a lot of somewhat intelligent, kind of hit horror films. Uh, the Cabin in the Woods, I think It Follows, and a couple of others. The Witch. Uh, probably The Witch. And some of these other films that actually didn't do that well it, box office-wise, in addition to having low cinema scores, and he was mentioning that, he thinks that that's a mark of the horror genre as a whole, where – And this kind of deals with what you're talking about, Brian, where – and sorry, this is not a quick question, obviously. Yeah, I Um, I am confused by
0: you calling this question quick. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, But he was mentioning how that the genre of horror has – very real has the potential to basically leave audiences with a bad taste in their mouth walking out of the theater. It has nothing to do with necessarily you had a good time at the film you enjoyed it you uh, you know it's well made it pulled you through the ringers and he said in fact, if it does a really good job, it could even sacrifice that cinema score even more so because it takes you from a point and ends you where you're just not very happy when you walk out of the theater and i thought that was interesting as kind of a mark of the horror genre in general and kind of bleeding back towards what you were saying brian where like this film obviously gives no shits about like where you think it's going to head and if you try and anticipate that this film at any point, is going to have some kind of happy ending or is going to do something that you kind of expect, it upends that in a lot of ways. And I thought it was interesting that that kind of plays out here with that kind of halfway point when Charlie gets ousted and you're just like, oh, what the fuck is this movie even? Like, I don't don't understand where it's going. Like, the creepy girl is gone. So, you know... I I thought that was just really interestingly observed and how you were kind of tying that into it as well, Brian.
0: So is the question whether or not we kind of agree with his assessment?
1: Yeah, it, it, because like, I guess horror in in a way, almost audiences are going in not necessarily expecting to have a happy ending. So they're not going to be super pissed off if they don't end up with a happy ending. Whereas action and comedy and you know just about every other genre of film and in particular uh you know comic book films like they're just supposed to end with kind of an upbeat attitude right and horror is like the one that just isn't i guess Well, I guess it's like I know from speaking from
2: my experience, I really got into like movies on a a scale as a critic and from uh, from that point of view in through genre cinema through horror. So I have like a very different perspective. Um, But I know that for me, a really great horror movie is when I leave the theater and I'm filled with aching despair. (laughs) And I can see why a general audience does not share that like pleasure in hating yourself in the world. <laughs> um, so from that point of view, I kind of understand where Scott is coming from, and it is an interesting take. Um, and I do have like an inherent confusion as to what the service of a cinema score is, because of the idea of like, well, I don't, I don't really pay that close attention to the marketing, and I don't see the value of whether or not it measures up at the end. But I'm also not that interested in the box office aspect of things. So yeah. Uh, it's just like it's a very confusing thing to me, like why this exists and why people report on it like that sounds really flippant, and like if you care, I'm really oh, sorry, no. but <laughs> i I find it just a bizarre activity to do
0: so I think i you know just to answer your question, Bill, I think that the basic problem is that cinema score is bullshit, and <laughs> it's the it's the dumbest way to gauge any kind of audience reaction because it's immediate and it is all depending on what people thought that they wanted. And it's not at all dependent on the, even like any general basic level of knowledge about narrative or filmmaking or anything like that. It's just, it's just a real, it's a real stupid way for like marketing and like studio bigwigs to try to get a feel for like what people quote unquote want. But it's, it's not. It's, it's a way to s- see how happy people are with what they got and not. So it it is inherently biased against challenging works. So I think Mendelssohn's whole concept of like, yeah, if a horror movie ends on a bummer, people are going to go out and be like, well, that I fucking hated that because it made me feel bad and I didn't want to feel bad. I wanted to like (laughs) jump in my seat and laugh and giggle and then get sent out still giggling about like the final big jump scare. But like this movie is upsetting. And I think that, it's it is One of the reasons that I love A24, A24, is because they're willing to give an upsetting movie like this a big release treatment. Mm-hmm. And I don't really give a fuck if some assholes <laughs> who are in a cinema score theater thought it was good or not. I mean, like, talking about the amount of money a movie makes, unless it's like a Star Wars movie that makes $12, because that would be like a real question mark or the cinema score of a movie is just like the worst entry point into a movie it's 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 literally like pointless it 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 is a metric by which you measure how most people respond to the movie and is therefore like divorced from any concept of the movie's actual quality or even your own personal thoughts about the movie because you're basically looking at a a a quantifiable aggregate of the ideas and concepts and thoughts of a bunch of other random strangers who you've never met and will never meet. And so therefore the only thing it serves to do is create dumb conversations on the internet. Let
1: me, let me posit this thing though.
0: I mean, we're Um, in the spoiler section for a movie uh, that goes to some pretty crazy places and, and deals with some pretty crazy themes. And I feel like, We have wasted the opening salvo of the spoiler section by even deigning to acknowledge that CinemaScore exists.
1: Well, that wasn't necessarily specifically about just CinemaScore, though. That was about kind of horror as a genre and its willingness to kind of leave audiences with a sour note in their mouth as they leave. So that's where that kind of conversation was kind of revolving around. Not necessarily cinema score. Yes, that was kind of the entry point, but it was just about the horror genre in, in particular and how they are particularly um, more accustomed to doing this kind of shit versus other
3: genres of cinema. But I don't but I think, think that think that's true. true. I think that's an irresponsible generalization, to be honest. I, I think to I, – I understand that Scott Mendelsohn, like uh, posits things based on box office, but if CinemaScore honestly tells me anything, and, and this is the least antagonistic way I can say this, is I think that uh, CinemaScore – reinforces the problems of the current metrics we use to gauge in terms of both critics as well as users, uh, based on things like Rotten Tomatoes, based on things like IMDb. The very sense that we are relying on these scores to say anything about box office or to in any way drive a conversation points to an inability for us to, it doesn't point to an inability, but it it again reinforces these very simplified and narrowed conversations about film that I feel like we need to get further away from. I, these are obviously tools that are, you know, they're necessary evils at the end of the day. Uh, I, maybe not cinema score, I, at least in in my opinion. But I, um, I, again, I I just I'm continually confused by the ways. Uh, that we're having larger conversations about these things according to these metrics. And I know that this is is some people's jobs. Like, it's box office prognostication and uh, things like this. But it is consistently strange that we have to, as Brian's saying, like, acknowledge them and try to frame conversations around them when they are so nebulous and arbitrary okay we can move on no, i'm not i'm not trying to no, fight we're moving I'm
0: just, on it's fine I, because again i mean unless justine did you have anything to add to the cinema score conversation or would you no, good, prefer thanks. to talk about her <laughs> okay great so let's talk about the movie um we're in spoilers we can talk about where it goes which is i mean charlie dies in a horrifying accident and what i think is one of the one of the best scenes in this whole movie follows that and that is her brother peter sitting in the car with the full knowledge of what he's done doing everything that he can to not face it as though that will crystallize it and make it real i mean his glance Alex into wolf the- Wow. Like I said, he is amazing. And his whole, like, not quite looking into the mirror, and then his, like, half hearted attempt to ask if she's okay, and then Mm -hmm. just driving home and getting in bed. I mean, that is just some insanely good acting. And again, just like the writing and the directing involved in that, all too, is just so perfect. I mean, in my theater where it was just my brother-in-law, my brother and me and my wife and a random man up front. The, the four of us who are related to each other all let out audible gasps. And in a lesser movie, I think that it would just live off of that. But like keeping us in that moment just really drives home how goddamn horrible that moment is for him. And then how bad it's going to be for the family. It is an incomprehensible thing that has happened and it is made relatively more comprehensible by the fact that we find out at the end of this movie that everything that's been going on is because the mother character who or the grandmother, Ellen, who died before the movie began, is a part of a cult that is attempting to summon King Payman, a demon who is a king of hell and to, is trying to get him to inhabit Peter's body um, because uh, King Payman prefers a male body, and King Payman was in Charlie, and that was not good enough. Is someone chewing potato chips? Or typing. <laughs> or typing. No. Uh, okay, interesting. So, so here's the thing. <laughs> the movie for so long is just a real in-depth look at mental illness and grief and depression. And then it becomes in the end, like a Rosemary's baby esque. Like there's a house of horrors type of thing that then devolves into a naked cult.
1: I just (laughs) like, I I asked about this. Why, why uh, they have to always be (laughs) naked and pale.
0: Yeah, I think it's, I honestly think it's a humility thing. I think it's, I think it's,
1: I think that's what what Justine kind of went back to. Yeah,
2: I said it's about honesty. You have to really like lay yourself bare for this higher state of being.
0: yeah, Yeah,
1: absolutely. I agree
0: with that.
2: I mean, what else are you gonna do? Look, here's the you question. Know, what are you gonna wear?
0: If you were a <laughs> my, demon, my king
1: payment shirt. If you oh, were, that.
0: yeah, you make everyone silkscreen shirts. No, if you were a demon, <laughs> wouldn't you want all of your people to be naked when you showed up, just so you could feel even more special?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would. So, so like, you would be wearing clothing, and everybody else would be naked. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then you could just yeah. like point
0: at them and Boy. laugh.
2: Well, one, like, you have, you have the two situations, right? Like, if you're a demon and King Payman, from what we understand in the movie and from personal research, is very proud, and he likes he, – he, that's why he – you have to call him King Payman. because it's a very big sign of respect, and he likes people to know how important he is. So if people show up, like, when you evoke him or invoke him – and they're wearing clothes. Either they're wearing clothes that reflect that "quote unquote" humility, or they're wearing gold and shit. And then he's like, "But I'm the king. Like,
0: yeah,
3: why?
2: Why are you all dressed up? Like, take no, it all precisely. off.
3: That's what I'm okay. basically like." the you- dumb question: Is invoke and summon the same thing?
2: No. Okay, so I did research on this. Too. So there's actually <laughs> it's there's uh, summoning is always the same, but under summoning there's invocation and evocation. Evocation. So one is in and one is ev. So when you invoke, you politely ask for a demon to show up. So you're like, "Hey, King Payment, can you please come?" Evoke is a lot t- sketchier because you're basically <laughs> being like, "Hey, King Payman, come right now!" Right? Like, it's one, not a. It's a demand. One it's is an invitation, than...
0: and the other is like throwing a lasso around him.
2: Yeah, and okay. the lasso okay. one is what these people are doing.
0: Right, and I and like I'll, I'll just you know if you're the king and you show up. I feel like any clothing that they wear is just going to be the wrong clothing, you know, because it's going to be like, oh, what? No one dressed up. This guy's wearing flip flops or you were,
2: they wear the wrong sports jersey.
0: Yeah. Or <laughs>
2: or it's Here's going to be Sunday's like it's best.
0: Yeah. You're, you're way too you're way too dressed up. I'm the one who, I, you know, I showed up in business casual and you all are in like formal wear. And now I feel like the <laughs> asshole. So being naked is a good way to make sure that they're comfortable. So, well, what's really
3: oh, interesting is you have aloud? the symbol
2: too in the movie, yeah. which is him with the crown and he always they didn't do this probably because it would have looked ridiculous. He normally shows up on a camel. Yeah. yeah. And so that's what like if you look at the symbol that's, it's like a they did show that image. Okay. Oh shit, they did. I like I don't know, I guess I blocked that out, but Yeah, it it's like a fine, picture right?
0: in um it's oh, a in picture the book. in the book yeah, and the he's book. on a camel with the pointy Yeah, he loves thing. the
2: camel.
3: I a camel know. and a band behind him with horns. This
0: guy's a I real <laughs> piece of
3: shit. This guy.
0: <laughs> so I guess my question is, did it diminish in any way everything that the movie was doing previously when it sort of like suddenly Tony Collette is like floating and like living in the corners of the house, like a spider. And then she's sawing off her own head and then like floating headless into the place. And they put a crown on him and they're like, Hey, you know charlie because i guess oh boy all right michael and i tried to talk about this earlier but like so so i before we get into the details before we try to if, if we even want to try to pick apart the plot i am curious if this worked for you if this like sudden change of pace really worked for all of you
1: i'll uh i'll start this off um because mine's i guess fairly easy um i do a fairly remarkable job of being able to enjoy something and then like see something that i don't enjoy and don't like about the film and just basically say nah fuck that i don't i don't trust that or i don't believe it or it's not gonna affect the way that i see this film uh point in case, or case in point, would be Gerald's Game, which I hated that fucking ending, but everything else before that was, like, solid, solid B-plus stuff. And so I'm able to just basically be like, yeah, go watch Gerald's Game, but uh maybe maybe brace yourself for the last 15 minutes of that film. And so, I don't know, like, I'm able to both take what this film is doing and, like take that honest portrayal of grief and everything that was all the family dynamics and everything like that, all that nuance and basically say, okay, that was one half of the film. And then the other half is this crazy demon plot. And I enjoyed both of them, but they don't necessarily negatively affect each other. So that's, that's it for me. (laughs) Okay.
0: Justine, what about yourself?
2: I find it. I like, While watching the movie, there's definitely a jarring shift at some point um, that threatens to kind of derail the mood of the film. And as the movie ends and you have Peter being kind of christened as this demon king, uh, it definitely feels like kind of out of source with the rest of the movie, but at the same time also kind of strengthens it for me. I I have, like, a very complicated feeling. That's why I really want to see it again, to see, like, how it plays, knowing that it's coming up. Because so much of this movie, like, what we've been talking about this whole time, it's so difficult to see where it's going. And so when it goes in a direction that you really were not expecting, and I was not expecting that final, like, 30 minutes, 20 minutes, uh, it was difficult to kind of reconcile in a way. So I think it's, like, this, this kind of, like tension inside of my reception to it but i do like that it was kept on like they kind of brought it to this level of like no this is supernatural and i don't think that underplays any of the themes or the treatment of uh dealing with grief or anything it's just a very unusual in your face way of kind of bringing that topic home
0: michael snydell
3: I, I'm of two minds on on this one, um, which is partly why I was trying to talk to Brian a little bit about trying to piece together some of these details, but I'll, I'll keep it vague here. Uh, I don't like this ending. Um, and it, it is certainly a filmmaking difference as kind of everyone's I mentioned, like the last 30 minutes of this are, uh, definitely more explicitly genre fair. Uh, like it reminded me a lot of House of the Devil, um, and you know, it, it things pile up and are and happen in a way that's yeah almost entirely different. And it does, as Justine says, it does feel very jarring, and but does also feel like a, a collective end. But my problem with this end is that I think if I'm not able to parse out a few of these characters' motives and the timeline of some of these things, there's a way to interpret, for instance, that uh, Annie has been possessed the whole time. There is a a question then of, um, you know. This timeline starts making things feel reverse-engineered to me, even if I'm not sure if that's actually the case. And so, on one hand, it's it's me (laughs) failing to understand a movie, or on the second hand, I think there's also either – it's an uh, either-and situation in the sense of uh, it could simultaneously be that the mythology – is at once too convoluted or not spent quite enough time on. Um, or, or I just, I, I can't um, separate in a way that, uh this ending doesn't somehow cheapen some of the just such primal grief earlier in the film and the ambiguity towards the supernatural. Um, and I think I wanted a lot of those things to not be explained as much. So again, it's very likely that after this ensuing conversation that I'll say, you know what? You're all right. This movie's in fact great. <laughs> but well, as of right now, I can't, I I can't square this ending and the third act with the movie that comes before it. So
0: how do I put this? I, 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 like I said earlier, I dig a movie that has some weird spiritual stuff and goes for it and is weird and has rituals and everything. I think, I think I have a problem with the way this movie ends Slightly, Because I feel like it it muddies the waters of the whole question of like how much of this whole family is uh, mental illness and how much of it is the fact that their matriarch was attempting to summon a king of hell um, because that couldn't have been easy on anyone. Um, You know, Annie says that her brother killed himself at 16 uh, because his mom was trying to put people inside of him. And so for a while I was like, ooh, that's good ambiguity. Sure. Is that him being schizophrenic or is is the mother actually trying to, you know, put people inside of him? Maybe it's like a way for him to, you know, cover up in his mind some kind of ritualized sexual abuse. I don't know. But then at the end of the movie, we get a very clear clarification that, yes, the mother was trying to put people inside of him, particularly one person, uh, King Payman, all hail. Um and and so like it it bums me out a little bit because I feel like it it cheapens a little bit these this question of like that that seemed to be at the core of it like the the title of the movie Hereditary like sure. maybe it's a curse maybe it's just the fact that your your genes are mean that at a certain point you go crazy um, if it's gonna do what it's doing I kind of wish I knew more or less what the shit was going on like I wish. <laughs> I wish that they clarified the ritual a little more. Like I wish that I had a concept of like, okay, well the reason she had to summon Charlie, if that is indeed Charlie and not like a demon trying to pretend to be Charlie is so that they could do X when, when and out who is great in everything. Um, and who didn't say Kevin enough in this movie, shout out to my leftovers <laughs> fans. Um, when she's like at his school like doing her little invocation and she says like i cast you out he seems to still be there (laughs) um so i was expecting that to be like oh now he's gonna like have to die and then they're gonna pick up his body and put something else in it but like you know he gets a, a broken nose that he seems to sort of give himself and then he jumps out a window when shit gets real and then I mean, like, I just don't. I don't I just, blame um, him. I mean, yeah. I mean, at that point, I probably would have jumped out the window. Um, I guess, I, and like, and then there's the question, like, everyone's losing their head, uh, literally, and I just don't know what that means. In a in a way, I feel like Tony Collette and Annie at some point is like, I'm gonna check my mother's stuff again. Finds the mats and then finds this book and sees the highlighted section about King Payment and everything. But that's like it in terms of our extra textual information from this movie and so like yeah i went online and i looked up king Payman and tried to find out about him my wife did the same and she was like he's from the, the key of lesser solomon and all this other stuff and you know he's all about science and knowledge and i'm like okay but like do you have to cut off three people's heads to summon him <laughs> like is that a part of it i just don't i just don't 100 percent know. And so I'm in this weird in-betweeny place of like, ooh, that's cool and evocative and an interesting twist after I've spent this whole movie thinking it's going to be one thing, but also I don't feel like I know enough what the hell is going on to really like feel good about it.
2: I know for for me, the one part that bothers me, um, I do like that a lot of the movie keeps things ambiguous because if you really... If you really want, you could start to think like, well, when he, when Peter kills Charlie by mistake in that accident, there would be way more police involved. And you go, if you kind of try to approach the film on that way, like a lot more falls apart. But I don't think that matters. This is not, this is a, a horror film. It's a high fantasy. And it's like, well, demons aren't real. So like, why are you worried about the police? But the one thing that does bother me about the ending and I think maybe could have pushed the movie to a point of certainty is the part where we have this evolution of what's happening to Peter in the final act where you have him from my point of view battling possession like he's clearly like it's unclear if it's the demon or him that's hitting the head Mm -hmm. Um, and he's clearly resisting something. And the thing that I think would have worked... Not like, I, like I hate to, I hate to be that kind of critic. Like, I am going to rewrite the movie now. But if there was a oh, bit do more that ambiguity, I all the time. It's okay. <laughs> when he jumps out the window, if there was a way that it was less, if there was something that's like, well, if towards the end when they're praising him as this as the demon, if you are like, maybe he's not possessed and he's just accept- he's Peter without any king in him, any demons mm. in him, and being like, okay, like I am just going to accept this weird shit but the movie is too vague like all of that is a bit vague for me it's like when he jumps out the window it's like he seems like he his head gets like really fucked up like he has to have been he has to have died
0: he seems real dead and then he wakes up and he clicks his tongue which is something charlie used to do which is like that's why you have something like that in your movie is so you can make it clear that there's another human in there it's it's Mm -hmm. like it's like every time they do this in another movie it's like Bob, when did you become left handed? And then Bob looks into the camera. And um yeah, that's
3: is, is clucking a property of payment?
2: I don't not that I could see, but I think it's creepy. It is okay. creepy. It's a thing that Alyssa okay. Edwards does on Drag Race.
1: Well so hold on. Do we think that Charlie was possessed then? And that's why she clucks? Or do, is that just a thing that Charlie does and she wasn't possessed? Because so, from, from this what, I can what underst- Michael and I were okay. talking about online earlier, yeah. Because, because, like, what y'all are trying to kind of explain to me is that Charlie was not the body for payment, and he was kind of resisting being inside of her. I don't necessarily think that's true. I think he's still looking for a host body. I...
0: I think that Payman was in Charlie. I okay. don't know to what extent I don't know if he was bound to her soul and her mind. Does, or does if Payman he was... have
1: a, a peanut al- allergy? It's <laughs> but, uh, but like you have to take on the, the
0: physical characteristics of whomever you're in, right? So like, okay. if I were to yes. take over, you know, Michael's body. I would have whatever his allergies are. I assume happiness. It's everything.
3: Um, everything. <laughs> just outside. Yeah, I would
0: never be able to feel joy again, and that would just be what I had to deal with. So, like, but I think, yes. I think that Payman, I think that Payman was in Charlie, and I think that every time that they speak about summoning Charlie, they're really saying the demon that inhabited the mortal body that you thought was your daughter, but never really was, or at least wasn't. After your your mom got her hooks in her.
3: Okay, but oh my god! <laughs> all right, I, I promise we won't do this too long. I, okay, we well, really I don't have don't, no I, idea.
1: I I do I do want to say something real quick. Um, I think whatever is about to transpire here is a valuable discussion because, like. We cannot possibly be the only people that are a little bit confused about like the vagaries of this end. So, like, Mike, I know you're kind of self conscious about like, uh, I, I, maybe I didn't fucking understand this movie and I'm a dumbass, but like, no, like, there is some vague shit going on. And I think, I think what we're about to have is, is good. Like, this is why I like podcasts like ours. So,
3: yeah. Well, I think, I, I think here's the thing is that, I, obviously, a lot of horror it does exist in heightened fantasy exists in this, you know, uh, suspense, uh, suspense, of disbelief. I can't talk, sorry, I, and does exist in this fashion. But I think the reason why I am trying to nitpick this so much is to have to have it end in this way and have it retroactively color everything that goes before. It's not something I can just. Uh, you know, throw to the wind and say, Oh, what a, what a, you know, clever or fun ending. Cause it does, I, it, it can change literally everything in the entire movie. So now I'm just double guessing everything well, that like I thought.
2: Rosemary's <laughs> baby, right? Like when you find sure. out the ending of Rosemary's baby, you're like, Oh, Ruth Gordon wasn't just a slightly eccentric neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. And well, without that ending, like, the, the That ending really affirms that what's going on in Rosemary's head is not just, like, weird paranoia. Sure. And you have to accept that. Like, accept, not, you don't, you have to accept it. It's like, you have to accept that that's what the film is doing. And so you have to retroactively look at it. So to take Hereditary and say, well, it doesn't retroactively affect what happened before is also disingenuous.
0: Right, um, and that's kind of my problem is that like I'm now looking at everything and going, okay, I just uh, you know it feels like it undermines a little bit all the other stuff that was going on, um, and I I just I don't know how I feel about that, and that's again on top of as we've already kind of talked about the uncertainty regarding the mechanics of like sure. how does the book that at once seems to burn Tony Collette suddenly engulf Gabriel Byrne in flames like how. <laughs> You know, that's, like, one question I have, but it I, I kind I of... I thought that
1: was really weird. I didn't understand, like, like as, as she was about to do it, I was like, oh, he's going to get caught on fire. And I was like, but why?
0: <laughs> I thought that, so, like, I thought that she was going to die, he was going to be like, oh, my God, it's real. And then he was going to find out that he was the weak-willed man who was going to be, like, the vulnerable mm. person, because he you know wasn't confronting his emotions either but he was even more vulnerable because he wouldn't even admit to the fact that he wasn't confronting it like everyone else in this family is screaming at each other how little they want to deal with this shit and he was kind of just not even being honest with himself but that's not even that important i just like i just don't like it i'm worried i'm worried that this movie that for again like 75 percent of its run is so tight and so narrowly focused and so deeply felt and observed. Suddenly, I'm just sitting there and all I can think is, "Oh, good good trick. Good twist." But like I'm sure. like you look back too much and you're like, "Well, I don't even understand how that twist made sense."
2: I mean, on the other hand, if you take it as like pure surface value, it's just a movie about the fact that demons are real mm-hmm. <laughs> and that there are Aspects of humanity, not humanity, but the existence of consciousness that are beyond our comprehension, where there's an idea of higher, quote unquote, beings that have a huge impact on how we live in the world. And at the end of the day, we're ultimately powerless because they always have the upper hand. So it doesn't really, if we look back retroactively on like, oh, none of these people were in control, well, maybe we're never in control and we're always at the mercy mercy of these other forces that kind of predetermine our miserable existence
0: right and one of those forces would be your your blood like the people mm-hmm. that you're your you're born yeah. to yeah. your heredity um anyway uh, but like you know and that's fine and i like it but it just i don't know again like it feels weird to like have I guess like like so little of an idea that it's going to do that like it makes it harder to accept it as where it finally goes even though like as I'm watching I'm like oh my god that's cool that's crazy I'm glad we're going here but like maybe they just needed to fine tune again just the mechanics of it a little more for me because it's I'm like I can make it work in my head like you said uh, Justine like you know demons control everything also so do your genes so your genes are (sighs) demons demons are in your genes um and i just payment jeans coming i was about 2019. To say the new levi's commercial <laughs> um are there demons in your jeans oh, um
2: i mean then it becomes it's not is it in the text or not that's kind sure. of what we're arguing right, right. it's and like that's we what can fill in gaps about. yeah
0: so do you think that that is in the text or is that something that we're kind of looking at because we want to make sense of it because otherwise it's just a movie that like puts a bunch of people through the ringer, decapitates most of them, and then has a young boy get taken over by the king of hell. A king of hell. <laughs> there are apparently eight of them.
3: Yeah, Never mind. This is a great movie.
2: <laughs> uh, I mean, that's kind of why I want to see it again. Like, it's, it's it's rare for me to watch, like, a mainstream horror movie and be like, you know what? There's enough there that I, I kind of want to rush to watch it with kind of a renewed sense of understanding because I think there is a lot that's, Difficult to unpack, but possibly missing. And I think, having only watched it once, it's very difficult to kind of parse the difference. And it's possible that the filmmakers are kind of relying on that, uh, the intuition we have to fill in gaps where they really don't have answers, mm-hmm. that we're going to kind of do some of the work for this for them, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Right, but there's a is difference. It done out of, yeah.
0: There's a difference between ambiguity and just not giving someone something well yeah um,
2: that's it and it's hard to tell the difference sometimes and yeah I think that's yeah. the case here
0: and like this movie i mean it has little things that it seeds in we didn't really talk about the fact that like the the mother uh, not uh, that stupid movie having two mothers in it um <laughs> so <dear> the <laughs> tony collette's character <laughs> makes miniatures and is this is the second movie i've seen in a month where Game night the, No, um, Don't Leave Home, which I saw at the Maryland Film Festival, is also about a woman in a horror situation whose job is to make miniatures and who is getting uh, bad news from galleries. And so that's literally her minimizing her pain and trying to make it something that she can easily control. And then in the school, they're talking about the House of Atreus and uh, Iphigenia and like that is a whole thing about how the gods cursed like this entire family. So even these poor kids who have nothing to do with the reason the gods are pissed off, which I read a condensed thing about it either involves cannibalism or a chariot race that went wrong. Um, you know, they didn't do it, but they are still those, cursed. Those because feel different. The, yeah. Well, they were they happened to two different people. Um, and it's unclear at what point the gods were like, this family is just fucked. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's there's enough there to draw those connections and say, well, if they're bringing this up, they obviously mean this to be read into the film. But I don't know how I feel about that. It's, I don't know if that's like, if it's not well integrated enough. And I'm saying all this still as someone who's like, go see Hereditary. It's a good time at the movies. I'm just, I guess, trying to figure out whether it's a handsomely made mess or if it's a, or like, I guess a handsomely made movie that isn't trying to be much or a handsomely made movie that is trying to be a lot more, but like maybe didn't totally land it. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I can, I can see where, you know, like Justine's saying, like if they're kind of giving us enough credit to kind of piece it together and kind of figure it out on our own or if they just literally, like, didn't run it through enough editors or, you know, eyes to basically say, does this make sense? You know, and I'm sure nobody wanted to give that note where it's like, uh, I don't think your movie makes sense towards the end. Like, I'm questioning things. But, like, certainly, if you jump from an attic on a third story uh, window... Yeah, I I think when you land on the ground, you're probably dead. Especially so. if you hit with your face. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, would say like that he landed was not in a tuck garden. and roll. Yeah, that was not a tuck and roll situation that he did. <laughs> that was more of a belly flop situation. So yeah, that's that's not going to end well for anybody. I was, uh, t- to be honest with you, I was fully expecting like him to get up with like a shard of glass in his neck or something, and just like take it out. And just like, and then cluck. But I think that combined with the cluck is supposed to just basically hit you over the head and, and tell you, yes, yes, he. Well, yeah, because they they had that weird little
0: light thing go to him too. Yeah,
1: and, yes, which I, we haven't I, talked oh, about the light felt, thing. Yeah, I felt that was no, that was bad. I didn't like any of that. <laughs> the I light. completely forgot about the light thing.
3: Yeah, the light I was was going to be my next question. I, again, I don't want to just make this. What did everybody interpret this as? But well, it's, i, I the,
0: interpretation even in like. Does anyone know what that was?
3: Oh, I'm. <laughs> yeah. I just the ray of light. I didn't understand because I felt like it changed uh, properties. Like yes, I, well, so, when you. Okay, so just briefly uh, – bear with me here. I'm I'm trying to collect my thoughts about the ray of light. The the first time we see the ray of light is with Charlie. Uh, She sees the ray of light in the house, which I feel like in that sense we're supposed to interpret that as a grandma. As the grandma. Um, And then – I I think she dies really shortly after that, which uh, it's a good time to mention. I really thought this movie was going to be about the kid the whole time. So seeing her die 15 minutes in kind of blew my mind like a little bit. (laughs) Same here. Yeah. My
0: brother-in-law even afterwards said the trailer really made it seem like it was going to all be about the girl. I was like, I know. And I am (laughs) thrown by that.
3: Um, I think
0: that's that's good marketing. All Yeah yeah
3: Uh, yeah so so the ray of light then the next time we see it is then with peter's character or wait or maybe i'm trying to remember whether annie sees it in her workshop because she certainly sees her mother in the workshop but i can't remember whether the ray of light is involved i don't 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 think think the ray
0: of of light's involved yeah i think it's Uh, seen by it's seen by charlie and then peter
3: Okay, so yeah. Peter sees it after Charlie passes. Yeah. So my, my initial passes sense—
1: is, uh, is a nice <laughs> way of saying that.
3: <laughs> my initial sense was that, yeah, that ray of light was just the spirits of the people who passed. But I don't think that's was, the case. Is it Eamon like, instead? Because it I seems don't... to torment Peter, specifically in the scene where the ray of light just kind of— uh, Kind of uh, does this weird spreading thing in the hallway of the classroom right before he's. I I, I don't know. I, I can't figure out whether the ray of light is a neutral force, whether it's Payman, whether it's supposed to be a character we know, King Payman, King of King Payman. And I'm just <laughs> I'm just curious how you guys uh, reconciled that or or saw that. And for the record, I actually do like the ray of light because uh, I think it again plays with the ambiguity of spirits, and I wouldn't care if it seemed like if it didn't seem like it was really important at the end of the movie. <laughs> Here's,
0: I'm just going to say this: I, I don't. I we've been talking for a while. We had uh, some technical difficulties sure. that gave us a delay, so it's very late. I just want to say I don't care if I know what something is as long as I feel like the director knows like i sure if, if if they were working off of some thousand year old text on how to summon king Payman, and they were like if you read the necronomicon all of this makes sense i'd say fine my issue is i'm not after seeing this movie once i think maybe a second viewing might clarify i am not 100 percent certain that they would even know and that's kind of where my trouble comes from and i think that's you know, without taking away anything from all the other good aspects that we we talked about primarily in the non-spoiler section, that's just kind of like where I land. I am not well, certain how much sure. is on purpose or done with any like true forethought. Just to I mean, the question
2: for? is too like would the film be better or the same without the light? I would say probably yeah.
0: I would say better? Yeah. Because
2: I, I, I do, I like I. I'm kind of on the same page as you. Um, I I have a very large capacity to be like I don't understand it, but it makes sense on this primal level. The light, sure. I, which I had actually forgotten it, until you brought it up, uh, was kind of weird, and it. I don't know. It it didn't quite make sense to me as to why it needed to even be there, because either way. It's always in these scenes where we're already guided towards some other kind of demonic energy, like, when he sees Mm. his reflection in the glass, and he's, he's smiling at himself, but he's clearly not smiling in the mirror, or the reflective surface, or at the end, when he gets up after he clearly broke his neck, you're like, well, the light doesn't really, like, well, it's kind of obvious, like, not good stuff is happening that's not normal, like, it's supernatural,
1: I I don't know if y'all caught this, and uh, forgive me if this is super obvious, but uh, at one point when he starts bashing his face in uh, on the on the desk in school, he raises his hand in a very peculiar way, and that's the exact same way that King Payman was kind of depicted as like holding up his hand. If yeah, I'm not he, mistaken, Payman
0: has I'm sorry, King Payman i feel like does anyone listen to the west wing weekly because every time they say bartlett someone auto corrects them president bartlett and now we're doing that with king Payman. anyway
2: i mean to be fair if you if king Payman is real and we're offending him bad stuff might happen right so we're going the extra mile
0: just in case um we will denigrate any living person (laughs) that we know exists but this demon king of hell uh is 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 a step too far, so anyway, King Payman appears to be holding a staff that has a hand that is pointing forward,
3: None.
0: yeah, and so it's not payman's own hand, so it's like payman going in and being like, "I usually look like this it's it's a, I don't know he's like, if I had a staff, it would look like this, also his face was all i don't know it's it's a terrifying image, and like. the thought of having your body taken over is is horrifying to anyone i would think but like yeah it's it's i don't know i just don't know well the whole thing is
2: is like king Payman. no matter what doesn't have a normal human form so that he would never it's not like he's the sum of parts like he has or internal organs or whatever like i always think of it like as a an apparition but like we're going into some weird demon stuff um but also king Payman does have a weird face that's part of his demon thing
0: oh
1: okay
2: yeah, he has, uh, he has the, he rides the camel, which is clear, but he has a very, they they describe it as an overtly feminine face, oh, that's like right. it doesn't match his body, which is a weird, I don't know, it's weird, but like, I guess it's supposed to make it more demon because ladies, <laughs> I don't
3: know. He also teaches arts and science, which I found <laughs> Interesting
0: (laughs) at the community college, right?
3: You know, honestly, if you were teaching at the community college, you might become a demon too. So,
1: so does he become professor payment or is it still king? I don't know.
0: Like, if we have a president who's a doctor, I think that you still say president rather than doctor, right? So, like, I feel like king is better (laughs) than professor,
1: yeah. Whatever honorific is higher, I guess, yeah. Jesus, that's...
0: Mm. I don't know. Like, if I became a doctor, but then I became a king, and someone went up to me and it was like, Dr. Rowan, I'd be like, hey, fuck you, buddy, king. <laughs> I am a king now. It's so much harder to be a king than a doctor.
3: You could be a King Rowan MD. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, probably, yeah. Anyway, um... Coming so to NBC this fall. <laughs> we've been... we've <laughs>
0: No, no, King MD, should be on NBC. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. He's ruled in hell, (laughs) but how will he handle this inner city teaching hospital?
3: Oh, no. Oh, don't give them ideas.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Look, we we had Lucifer where the devil was a police detective. Now we're going to have the devil being a doctor.
3: Wait, can I ask? Can I ask one more question? Okay, I'm wondering guys, how you guys you, got you there. Just let us down
1: forty minutes <sighs> of conversation. What are, what
3: are you doing to
1: us? All right, okay, last, Go
3: ahead. Go ahead. Last thing. Okay, Charlie is are Charlie inextricable from payment considering the last scene.
0: I believe and so. Peter
3: being Charlie. Is that how you guys interpreted that? That is how I read that. Yes.
2: Yeah, I would say too. I'm um, yeah.
1: The clucking
3: thing. I'm just trying to find any way to connect the dots here.
0: <laughs> if you can help Michael connect the dots, tweet at him, <laughs> at, <laughs> at Snydell, on Twitter. I, oh,
1: I no. You know, Brian, it's it's unfortunate that you... I'm not, I'm not sure when this thing is coming out, but uh, The Devil and, and Father Immort, uh the documentary that William Freakin made uh, about, like, an actual exorcist for the catholic church um they mention in that that like possession is not what we think of like in terms of like the exorcist uh possession is more of a brief like spurt throughout a person's like maybe for several years they have a mental what we would call a mental lapse for like four hours on like a Tuesday and that's it. And so for the rest of the time they're normal, they're average, they do not appear to be possessed. And then they just go through these random spurts. Um, And so I think when we look at Charlie and we say, but she seems kind of normal. And then she does these really weird and absurd things at times. I don't know if necessarily we're supposed to say that whatever is within her is only payment king sorry king payment uh or if it's like yes she's possessed but that's also like just her living life as best as she can uh, with the knowledge that like every now and then she forgets like several seconds or several minutes. Does that make sense?
2: That makes sense, and I think if you mm-hmm. also take into account that uh, King Payment is a king, he does have rulership. That there is a possibility that there are other kind of like lesser demons hanging about inside. Oh, yeah, because he is—he is—he's—he's a, a, he's not just a king of nobody. I didn't—I didn't, I didn't know. Oh shit. So, so those he, people come like, with
1: him? What the fuck? Well that's really?
2: uh, so we when we lost the recording uh, like no we didn't lose the recording when we paused we, for a we're bit. We're talking off, yeah. off mic, yeah. Yeah, bit. no. One of the things that uh, if you read if you the if you google how to summon some <laughs> demons, uh one of the biggest risks is that if you're going to be summoning a like a king or a demon of importance, which is the ones that most people want to be summoning because you're asking for things normally.
1: There's always the risk I w- I that... I want his second cousin.
0: I, when, I'm, when I'm summoning a demon, what I really want is I want one of the lower level demons. Just like when I go to interview for a job, I talk to a random guy in a cube. So what is it really like here? What is the CEO not going to tell me?
1: <laughs> okay.
2: But they okay, leave. go ahead. Like, go you ahead. don't know what you're going to get, basically. You yeah. you summon King Payman and then he... like I'd have to double check, but I think he has like several thousands of demons under him
1: jesus jesus
2: so you might be getting some other dudes and like again you don't want that and a lot of the time they say if you're not very that's why you have to be very careful when you're you're summoning these guys for the first time because a lot of people accidentally bring in a lot of other people See,
1: this is I, don't, why, I, don't, I don't know. This is I, I why I just like...
0: talk to Jesus because <laughs> you have a personal relationship with Jesus and then he doesn't bring anyone else around.
1: Uh, it's not like spirit. What about God? The those spirit. are all parts of him. I but
0: like, let's say no, you no, like talking, is... you're like talking. You're At first there's the Trinity thing. Like him, the father, the son and the Holy spirit are consubstantial. Anyway, I'm just saying like, Jesus doesn't roll up and say, I brought six of the 12 apostles too." and we're going to chill. You know, those guys are still up in heaven doing heaven shit.
2: Okay, so it says here on the <laughs> Wikipedia that he rules
1: 200 legions of spirits.
0: How big is a Some of which legion? are orders legions?
1: of angels legions. Wait, legion sounds like uh, l- like a than, Yeah, le- a, a legion is a group of people, right? So yeah. 200 of them, Jesus. Christ.
0: I mean, the Roman legion was a, <sighs> a lot more than a couple people.
2: Although anyway, there is some dispute. Some say he was only in charge of 25 legions.
0: That's still different more than one legion, which is what most people command. Anyway, I'm going to call it. I think we're done. Um, we will We will have to one day have just a whole podcast devoted to summoning demons. We could summon one on the
3: podcast. Oh, my God. That's our Halloween episode.
0: We're going to have you back and we're going to try to summon a demon.
3: I am um, feeling good about atheism right now. Let me tell you. <laughs> First
0: of all, wait. So if you're an atheist, does that mean you don't believe in demons either?
1: I think when they show up and start clucking, maybe, maybe you do. Because, like,
0: you know, a bunch of people are like, I don't believe in God. And then it's like, do you believe in, like, the devil, though? And I would love to meet someone who's like, I don't think there's a God, but 100% believe there's a devil.
2: Well, that's pretty common you have yeah. that that's like this, that's one of the, the theories of not like depends on how you interpret notism but that's I don't know how to pronounce that properly but like that's the whole thing that like Leonard Cohen was always writing about it's very big oh. in Judaism where there's a false god and the false god is actually the devil and the real god doesn't actually exist
0: so, so but then wouldn't that how can you be a false something if a real something doesn't exist don't you just then ad hoc become the real thing <laughs> it's a good question
2: <laughs> I don't know <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: i don't know possibly well this no, is I, uh, this is stuff that like we will <laughs> we will have to talk about on our demonology <laughs> podcast oh, coming God. this fall um our pilot episode will be us summoning a demon live on air and uh that's gonna be fucking sweet. get your get your king payment t-shirts now Put yeah, your
3: order uh, in. Pre-order get at at pre-
0: study up uh swear allegiance to Payman, because we're bringing him out and if king like payment my bad, pa- King Payman. I'm so,
1: so sorry. King Payman. It's just... I feel like at the matter. top of the podcast, we should have said, uh, for here from here on out, every reference to Payman will be King Payman, and just know that that honorific is always added, whether we add it or not intentionally. I don't
2: think that
3: he's chill with that. But. I think that he is <laughs> the think-
0: kind of guy who really needs to hear the King thing.
3: I don't think he's chill about anything. Let's be honest.
0: Here's the he's ba- chilling on destruction and despair. He's in hell. Like hell, hell should be the chill place, right? <laughs> that's like what it I It is. Just feel. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, in uh,
2: if- Dante's Inferno, it's not an inferno; it's an ice bucket. Well, yeah,
1: that's
0: the right. the original conception of hell um, was in fact cold because you are not near the light of God. So you're obviously cold because you're not near the warmth of the spirit. Anyway, I mean, when I mean when I say chill, I mean like skateboards, cigarettes, and rap music is what <laughs> I'm talking about. Because apparently, I
3: mean, first
0: <laughs> No, I was actually thinking of the place that all the runaway kids go in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: Okay. All right. Where's Maybe Sam it's part Rock- of the Same universe.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think of hell, and I think of Sam Rockwell asking if I want regular or menthol. Um, oh boy! Deep cut. We're not going to make
3: any money, so we're not going to get a hereditary universe.
0: <laughs> oh, that's. Uh, can we just claim that this is part of a universe? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Okay, With I'm going to say this is, this is part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, <laughs> oh, anyway, man. I would. Uh, this has been fun. <laughs> shockingly a uh, uh, fun conversation considering the darkness in this movie uh look for our demonology podcast we don't have a name yet but we'll look for it on twitter uh we'll also take your suggestions on twitter and um this halloween we're bringing king Payman back so get ready for that um justine thank you so much for joining us and uh putting pleasure. putting up with us um, <laughs> Uh, let me remind everyone at home to go to patreon.com slash the show and give us your money and go to MUBI.com slash film for a free 30 day trial to MUBI so that you can watch another inscrutable movie last year at Marion bad, which, um, it's not really a spoiler also might have parts that take place in hell. That is definitely a reading of that movie that is possible. Check it out. It's French. It's black and white. Your friends will hate you when you tell them that you watched it. And uh, it's a great way to make yourself feel like you're better than everyone else. Go to M-U-B-I
3: dot oh,
0: wow, <laughs> film stage and uh, check it out on us for free for 30 days. That is all for today. Um, let us tell the fine people at home where we can be found between now and the next time that we talk to them. Bill Graham, let's start with you
1: you can find me taking pre-orders now at cable bfg on twitter and you can also find me messing around on the slack channel
0: all right justine
2: red room red
0: all right michael snydell
3: uh you can find me uh getting on all the government watch lists while i'm looking at black magic on the internet (laughs) and uh (laughs) on twitter at at snydell
0: Alright, and of course you can find me At my personal site, dearfilm.net uh, Writing for the Film Stage All these podcasts are on Filmstage.com And uh, that is it So, ladies and gentlemen Thank you so much for joining us And tune in next week